to the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah chapter 1. We'll start out with just one verse. Our first lesson in studying, we gave just an overview of the book, give you an idea of what it really is all about. And then the second lesson was the call that Jonah had that God revealed to him. God called him. God wanted him to do a certain task and made that clear to him. But the problem was Jonah didn't want to do it. He stepped outside of God's will. Today we want to look at a common rebellion. And to see that we're sort of kin to Jonah in some of those very same areas as Christians. We, at times, are like him. We rebel to some degree against the will of God for our lives. Some of it is certainly spelled out in the Word of God. Some of that, the Holy Spirit leads us along with the Word of God. If we're not careful, we'll rebel against it. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. We're all different in a lot of different ways. We all have different temperaments. We all look different. We're all different in so many ways. But one way that we're not different in, and that is this, that we are all sinners. Every last person in this room here is a sinner. And our flesh, because of that, is something we have to deal with all the time. Though we're saved, we have the old flesh. We didn't get rid of it when we got saved. It would be good if we could have. But if that had been God's plan, He would just taken us right on to heaven. But we still have the new nature if we're saved, and we have the old nature. And so we are sinners alike, and our flesh is weak. And as I said earlier, all of us are a little bit like Jonah. We just, if we're not careful, we'll be like that because rebellion to God's perfect will for our lives, rebellion to that, is very, very common. But here's the problem. Rebellion, whether it's Jonah or you or me, gives the same result. We have the same results from it because the result of rebellion is just going to be the very same. Now, let's look, first of all, at an attempt to flee. An attempt to flee. Verse 3 states that Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's a very interesting statement, very interesting thing that he decided to do. He wanted to either, and this is what we normally do, we want to excuse ourselves and try to justify our sin or sort of run from God and hope that there be no consequences to our sin. 
And that's what Jonah probably thought. I want to I wanna run from God, and I don't want the results, I don't want the consequences of sin that would come in my life. So he rose up to flee into Tarshish, he thought, from the presence of God. And that's what we usually do. That's, that's the attitude. Someone has said this, and I quote them, Sin is the world's best detective. It always finds you out. Sin is the world's best detective. It always finds you out. How many of you agree with that? Say amen. It is true. Sin will always find us out. We don't get away with it. But he's trying to flee from God and trying to escape the consequences. And that is a human inclination. That's just sort of the natural thing that we do. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, if you want to turn there right quick, or I'll just read these verses to you, we'll see how this sort of all started out. In Genesis 3, 7, and 8, And the eyes of them both were open, Adam and Eve. And they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together. Notice what they did. They rebelled against God. They realized they were naked, and now they're trying to cover up their sin. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They were hiding. They made these fig leaves. They were trying to cover up their sin. And that's usually the first reaction when we sin is we try to run from God. We try to hide our sin from God. Problem is, man has been running from God ever since Adam and Eve made this horrible mistake. And so that's the human inclination. But it is a hopeless impossibility. Not only a human inclination, but a hopeless impossibility. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, and this is a good question, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Speaking of God, saith the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? The psalmist also asked a very similar question in Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Listen to how the psalmist described it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? Where, where am I going to go to hide from you, God? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So here's the thing. You can't hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to do it, but they couldn't do it. God knew where they were all the time. But they were trying, trying to hide from God. Where are you going to go in this world that God already isn't? You can't go anywhere in this world where God already isn't. He, he's, all, he's already there. God is already there. The prodigal son left home trying to get away from his father and get away from the presence of the Lord, but God was there. God never left him alone. 
and God finally brought him to the place he got tired of the slop and eating with the pigs and decided to go back home. God was there. No matter where you go, God is. And I'm always amazed at people who, who think they're getting away from God or hiding from God or, or they're going to get away with sin. They're not going to do it. And so we have this attempt of Jonah to flee from the presence of God. Then we look at an alternative that is found. An alternative that is found. Satan uh, leads us always, if, if he has anything to do with it, and he has a lot to do with it, he's constantly trying to do this, he leads us in an opposite direction of the will of God. And so the scripture says that he found a ship going to Tarsus. Well, where did God tell him to go? Nineveh. Well, Tarsus is in the opposite direction. And so he's trying to go away from God. And who's leading him in that? The devil is. And I can tell you in your life that Satan will give you a lot of choices to go away from God. He'll give you a lot of avenues, a lot of roads, a lot of things that he'll allow you to have in your life to get you to go away from the will of God. And he works on that over and over and over. And he'll always make sure that the ship is going in the opposite direction. That's just his nature. How many of you believe the devil's real? Say amen. How many of you believe he's still your enemy? Say amen. How many of you believe your mate? No, never mind. <laughs> we'll skip that one. Eve's reasoning was that they could hide from God. And she began to rationalize her sin. Aren't we good at that? We sin and we say, well, you have to know my circumstances. Or if I hadn't have been here, if this hadn't happened, God doesn't, uh, God doesn't accept our sin because of some kind of trivial reasoning. In Genesis 3, 6, Eve said that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She's rationalizing. This is why I did it. These are the reasons I disobeyed God. Lot, the Bible says, lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, the eye gate, looking at all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Well, he thought he could do that and go as he listened to the devil to the plains of Jordan and get away with it. The problem was the people down there were living like the devil. You say, how do you know? Well, look at the wording there, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, is homosexuality sin? Yes. God destroyed them. Does that make us homophobic? No. We want to love them to Christ and get them saved, but that doesn't change the fact that sodomy is sin. Amen? Homosexuality and all that is sin. God said it was. And so he thought he could go down there and live among the sinners and take up a lot of their practices and their culture and all of that and get away with it. And God said it's not going to be done. Achan thought he could get away with sin. Genesis tells us about it, chapter 13, verse 10, and here's Achan saying, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, 
and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. Now, he was confessing, but these are the things that the devil used to pull him away. And there are a lot of things in our lives that Satan can use. We have to constantly be alert that we don't allow those in our lives. And I can tell you that Satan's alternatives usually are very attractive. He makes them attractive. And Satan is able to do that. He's a deceiver. And he can do that. He's the world's greatest magician. And he's always doing that. And keep in mind that the devil is the perfect counterfeit of Jesus, the perfect counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Second Corinthians where Paul warns us, chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, for such are false apostles. They call themselves apostles, but they're false. Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no marvel... Well, listen to it. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He can transform himself into something that looks good, an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. They appear to be that way, whose end shall be according to their works. They're false. They preach a false gospel. They look good, they sound good, they're educated, they've been trained in liberal theological cemeteries, seminaries and all of that, and yet they get up and uh, people don't understand it. They sound so good and they use the Christian lingo, they just preach a false gospel. Satan is so good at giving the alternatives and making those alternatives very attractive. And so we have an obstinate decision. Sometimes... When we say no to God's will, all we're doing is acting like we're smarter than God. And there's not a person in this room or all of us combined together, if we put our heads together, we're still altogether dummies compared to the brilliance of God, the omniscience of Almighty God. God has perfect knowledge and is never wrong. And the Bible says in Romans 9:20, Nay, but O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That's what was getting Job in trouble for a while until he got that right. He kept saying, I wish you made a mistake, God. I should have died at birth, and, and I wouldn't have all these problems, and I've been living a good life, and you shouldn't uh, let these things happen to me. And God had to remind him who he really was and let him know that and uh, that he was questioning God's will for his life. And that's a, a wrong thing to do. It's so typical of us to do that. And so Job said in 9, 2 through 4, I know it is, a, it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he would contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and who hath prospered. Basically, what he was beginning to learn was nobody was going to do that. And so we see, we see an opposite direction, an obstinate decision, and an opposite direction that's going. Now, in what direction was he going? Well, in verse 3, it says he went up to Joppa or down to Joppa? He went down to Joppa, down to Joppa. 
any way away from God's will is down in Calvary. Whatever it is, any way that is out of God's will is down. The problem with it is the trip back up is pretty rough. If you don't believe that, ask Jonah. The trip back up is pretty rough. And uh, he uh, was in the belly of that fish that God prepared for him. I was I had my book out studying on the airplane the other day, and and to try to get in a conversation about spiritual things, I opened it up and showed the front of the book, and I said, "Have you ever heard that story?" And the young lady sitting by me said, "Yeah," almost as if, but I don't believe it. But they found people in modern days that were swallowed by a whale and spit them out on the on the beach. They were all yellow everywhere, all over them, and the chemicals in the whale's belly, but the Bible says God prepared a great fish. And uh, again, this is a whale of a story, isn't it? It's true, though. It's absolutely true. And so we go down, but the problem is the trip back up is can be really, really, really rough. And here he was going down to Joppa, down in the sides of the ship, and it took a sick fish to get him back in the will of God, to get him back up. And then we see an agreement on the fair. He makes an agreement on the fair. In verse 3, so he paid the fair thereof. Back in that verse you see it. So he paid the fair thereof. And uh, it cost. Any time that you serve the devil, it cost us to serve God. That's what he didn't want to do was pay the price to serve God. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. He didn't like those people. He was prejudiced against them. Uh, they had uh, killed some of his relatives, they think. And so he didn't want to go there, but God told him to go there. And he didn't want to pay the price of humbling himself to go and serve God. But there's a cost to sin. We can either pay the price to be in God's will, whatever that is, or we can pay the price that comes as a result of sin. And uh, we, we have to recognize those are the two possibilities. And let me tell you that every sin has a price. All sin has a price to it. Whatever it is, it has a price. In Second Samuel chapter 24, David thought he was getting away with sin. And King David uh, saw Bathsheba, he should have been, probably, should have been at war, but he wasn't. He didn't go. He was there in his magnificent palace, and he looked over and saw Bathsheba bathing. I would say she probably set the thing up, too, that she wasn't so stupid as to know that if she was there where she was without her clothes on and all of that, that somebody would not see her. And so probably she knew she would be in the line of sight of King David. And so Satan deceived him and he committed adultery with her and had her husband sent to the front line so that he would be killed and then found out that she was expecting a child. And then, guess what? The child died. You see, there are always consequences of sin. And not only that, but you look at his family, all of the things that happened to David and all of the problems that he had with Absalom and, and the family. My friend, those probably were not accidental things. They were the results of the fact that he 
made some terrible choices and did wrong and was outside of the will of God. At the beginning, he didn't see all of that. At the beginning, the devil fooled him. Why do we think we can get away with sin? Why do we think there's no price on it and no price to be paid in consequences? And so that's a hefty fare that he paid that the baby died and then many of the other things. So you're going to pay to either be in God's will or you're going to pay to be outside of God's will. It's better to be in God's will. And so David had learned in, that in every decision, both good and bad has a price, whatever decisions you make. And so David respond, responded in um, chapter 24, Second Samuel, to Arona, and he said, The king said unto Arona, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor in the auction for 50 shekels of silver. He knew that it was better to pay for it and to sacrifice in order to, in, in, in order to have God's blessings upon it. So it's never a good deal for us when the results are bad. And it's never a good deal for us when the results would be death. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Not life, <clears throat> but the wages of sin, the payoff, the result of sin is death. We are spiritually dead, and we remain that way until we're born again, and our spirit is brought alive. And, uh, and then if we as Christians decide to live in sin and practice sin, then probably we're going to have what would be called a premature death because we chose to disobey God. Those things can happen. So it's never good, never a good deal when the product is death. And uh, the product and the price is something we ought to, ought to consider. The Bible says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And there's, there's your choice that is in the Word of God. Mark said in chapter 10, verse 29, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife, children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. You're going to be there. And he says there's a price to pay, but I'm going to bless you and honor you as you do what I tell you to do and stay in my will it may cost you to do that. It may cost you, but it's the best way to do it, and God's going to honor it. And then every decision has a purchase order. Every decision has a purchase order. We use purchase orders here at the church, and um, the purchase order is filled out by the staff or if someone else in the church is making requests for their ministry. And that purchase order is filled out, and the price is put over in the right-hand side of that column and the total of whatever items they want. And then it comes down through, and then there's a place for comments if I want to write some on that. And then there's a place down at the bottom where I initial it and put a date on it. And then it goes to our financial secretary, Stephanie Houston, and she uh, and I talk about it, and then we go from there. And there's a purchase order that is essential. And that's a good practice for any ministry and for any, any business, that type thing. And if, you, if you've ever run a business or owned a business or been part of it, they probably 
you something like a purchase order. But humans, and we're dealing with money there, and we need to respect that money, but humans can delay a decision sometimes and not make the right decision, and whenever they do that, problems come as a result of that. We have to think through a decision. That's one of the purposes of a purchase order is to make them think, why is this necessary and does it justify the cost of that purchase order or is it just some whim that you wanted to do this because you didn't have anything else to do that day. But uh, sometimes the decisions can be delayed and especially if a person thinks through them. But animals react to stimuli we have to uh, we have to listen and think and make the decisions according to our mental capacity and the emotions and the mind going together about those things. Now, sometimes a dog will bite its owner. That's not a good thing. Uh, one time uh, we had a church parsonage right by our church. And we had, in fact, I saw Dr. David Bond uh, the other night. He came to my service, one of the services there in West Virginia, and he lives in that area. And I remember he was preaching away that night, and I told Phil to close the door and be sure the dog was put up, our little black chihuahua, and close the door. And uh, he didn't do that. He forgot. He was just a little lad, five or six years old, I think, somewhere around there, seven. And so when he came to the side door of the church from the parsonage, he also left that open. And guess what? My chihuahua showed up in church, walked right across the front while David Bond was preaching, and I, neither one of us could remember exactly what he said, but I jumped up, went down there, and I said to Phil, come get your dog. Your dog, you know, it was his dog then. But guess what that dog did to me? Growled at me and bit at me. And I was so surprised because that was our pet. But in those circumstances, he wasn't used to that. And when I ran down, he didn't have time to discern who it was. And I mean, I grabbed him quickly because the preacher was preaching and I had to get that dog out of there. But sometimes animals just react to immediate stimuli and even will bite the owner. And that's what happened to me. Now, we are unlike animals in that we are saved, we are God's children, and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but temptation is still there. It's a part of our lives, of every Christian's life. But thank God Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Hebrews tells us that in chapter 4 and verse 15. Now listen to this. He has given you and me, this is important now, the very same potential. Jesus never sinned. You and I do not have to sin. He's given us the very same potential. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. Prove it to me, all right? Here it is. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. 
There you go. We have no excuse for our sin. You say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, there's truth to that, but you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're a child of the King. The Spirit of God indwells you. God has given us the ability to overcome sin, and we are without excuse when it comes to sin. We have a choice, a logical, mental, emotional choice to make concerning that, just like Jonah. And so... um, we sometimes think we're signing up for a great product when we really aren't signing up for a great product. I've been ripped off, and I'm sure you have at times. And you're about to, when you, when you sign up for a purchase order of the devil, you're not signing up for a good product. I promise you that. He'll deceive you with it, and you've got to ask the question, what product do you want? The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, Second Peter 2.9. Either way, you're going to pay. Either way, you're going to pay. Make sure your decision is worth the price that you're going to pay because the way up is very difficult to come back and get in God's will sometimes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this account of Jonah, and I pray we'd learn some great lessons from it and remember them as we think of the story of his life. In Christ's name, amen.